0: Well, we have just begun the book of Colossians. And last time we looked at those verse two verses, and we are going to jump right into verse three. But just to make note, verse three through eight that we're going to look at today is one continual sentence. And it's sort of Paul saying how he saw things and how he prepared his heart and his attitude in going into prayer before he prays. So if you've asked the question, man, how would the most mature Christian who's ever lived on the planet pray? Well, Paul would be the guy. And next week, we are gonna learn how to pray for one another, how to pray for God's church. But today, we're gonna see some real key elements of what makes a Christian great. What makes a Christian fruitful? What makes a Christian look like a Christian, sound like a Christian? Draw, you know, when, when people, all kinds of people were drawn unto Jesus. They wanted him at the wedding. They wanted him at the party. They, they wanted Jesus. And, and that drawing Jesus unto Jesus was something that They knew they weren't going to be condemned or feel condemned. They weren't going to be judged or feel judged. They can come in old, poor, ratty clothes. And they felt comfortable around Jesus. It didn't matter. All delighted in seeing Jesus. And the church is Jesus, right? I mean, that's the whole point. He is the church. And we are a part of his church. We He is the head, and we're the hands, and the feet, and the eyes, and the ears, and etc. But we should smell, and taste, and sound, and and we should be the presence of Christ in this world, right? That's what we're going to learn about today. And in verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, We just finished the book of Philippians, and the key word in that book is what? Joy. Joy. Thank you. It's several times in several forms. Well, now as we head into Colossians, the key word is thanks. Thankfulness. Thanksgiving. And he says, man, i just thanking God for you guys, and I'm praying always for you. Here's a question for all of you. Are you thankful for the believers here in our local church? I'll tell you, I certainly am. And when I don't see you for a few weeks, Chris, um, my heart rejoices when you're back. And of course, maybe it's because I've been gone on vacation for two weeks. So. But either way, you, you, were, you were gone a couple of weeks. Uh, we didn't think you backslid or anything. We just figured you had places to go and people to see and things to do. But hey, when you're back, I rejoice my heart to see you again. See, you see how this works? I rejoice in all of you, in thinking of you. Some people see other people as a problem to endure. You know, that, that's the way it is. Once we get to know each other, familiarity can breed contempt. You know, I I know that feeling of going to a new church and everything's, it's a party, you know. I don't know any dirt on anybody. I don't know any struggles of anybody. I I don't know of any, uh, you know, I'm just looking and had a great conversation. and, and, And I don't know about your weaknesses and frailties and sins and struggles. I just, but then you get to know people and you're like, oh, okay. Shouldn't be that way, should it? We should see everybody the way Paul did here. So some see people as a problem to be endured. Others see people as enjoyment. And it's really not about people being better so you can enjoy them. It's really about an attitude of your heart. And when you're filled with the Spirit and filled with God's love, that overpowers all relationships, and you do enjoy them. And notice here he says, he thanks God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you study the scriptures, you find that we are to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus the Son. Jesus taught us to pray in this way, didn't he? In Matthew 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In John 16, Jesus said, I'm going to quit talking to you figuratively in verse 25. And, and in verse 26, I'm going to say it plainly. In that day, after Christ resurrected and ascended unto the Father, you will ask in my name. Now, notice this. Sometimes people read this wrong. It doesn't say, and I say to you. No, I do not say to you that you shall pray the Father, that I shall pray the Father for you. Interesting, the whole Catholic idea of praying to a saint and then talk to God for you. Jesus says, I won't even be an intermediator in that way. He says, why? Because the Father loves you. Why? Because you have loved me and believed that I have come from God. I came forth from the Father and I've come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father So let's not forget the Lord our God is what? One Lord. We only have one God. But that God is in three distinct persons. And I'm not going to teach a Bible study on the Trinity. I could easily do that if you guys want. Let me know afterwards. But um, the, the point here is that Jesus came to be our salvation that we could enter into fellowship with God the Father. And of course, not just that, but God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But it's important from Jesus' perspective to understand that his job to be a mediator between God and man was to bring us unto fellowship with the Father and joy in the Father. You say, well, I can't ever pray to Jesus. No, you can It's one God. Matter of fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians he said when he was going through a very difficult time, he he said, I pleaded with the Lord, referring to Jesus concerning his difficulties. And then he says the last thing, praying always for you. Now, let's not forget that Paul has never met these Colossians. And Colossae is a very small, insignificant church. I think the real reason Paul was familiar with the Church of Colossae is when we're going to go through that little tiny one-page book, Philemon, we're going to find out that one of Philemon's slaves from Colossae ran away, which is a death sentence in his day, bumped into Paul in Rome. Paul led him to the Lord and became a pastor. And Paul says, you really can't, Be used beyond this until you go back and reconcile with Philemon. And so this slave goes back and asks for apology. And Paul in that letter basically says, let him go free. He's a pastor. He's a free man. He's your brother in the Lord. And so Paul had an intimate connection there. But also Epaphras is there visiting him. And he is from the church of Colossae. But notice, having never met these people, he doesn't say, and I pray on occasion for you. I think about you every once in a while and pray for you. He says to these people he's never met, only heard about, I pray for you always. Isn't that the key of Jesus and the key now of Paul is this life of prayer? Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the second shortest verse in the Bible. Pray what? Pray always or pray without ceasing, depending on the translation. Interesting. As we read through the Gospels, Jesus never was asked by his apostles, teach us to do miracles. Teach us to do great anointed sermons. Teach us to kill the sick. Teach us to evangelize. The only thing they ever asked Jesus is teach us to pray. And in Matthew 6, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus taught them. But in Luke 11, it's at the end of Jesus' ministry, they ask the same question once again. Why is that? Because they knew if they understood the mind of Christ about praying, it would unlock every and all doors to the rest of Christendom. They knew that that was the key to walking a life that's fruitful unto God. And Jesus' prayers to them were monumental. The power of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the miracles, the healings, the insights, they all came in that time of prayer. Now, let's never do the foolish thing by saying, well, Jesus was God. Boy, Satan tried to take that away from him by being 100% man, didn't he? He knew if he could unravel Jesus' humanity and Jesus would act as deity in human flesh, then he wouldn't be able to be the substitute. So all of Satan's temptations was trying to get Jesus to walk in his deity. That was the temptation. Turn that rock into bread and so forth. And Jesus said, nope, I'm 100% human. What did Jesus say in John? The works that I do, you can do also in even greater works. What was the key? Isaiah chapter 50, verse four and five. Jesus speaking in the Old Testament, 750 years before he'd be on the earth. The Lord God has awakened me morning by morning. He has quickened my ear to hear as a learner. The Greek Septuagint uses the word disciple. Jesus was a disciple of the father. And I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. And then verse 7 says, they whipped my back, they ripped out my beard. A very clear description of Jesus on the way to the cross. But what was the key? Morning by morning, he was awakened and immediately he sought the will of God. He sought to hear from the Father Unfortunately, they didn't have a Bible to carry around like we did. They had to go to the synagogue and get big scrolls. So they really had to work at memorizing the word and having it deep in their heart. But that was Jesus. Well, how did Jesus know how to talk to the woman at the well? Morning by morning, the father quickened his ear as a disciple that he would have a word to sustain the weary in the day. Jesus would first awaken and get his own soul filled. And then he would have a word now to sprinkle and to pour upon everybody else. What did David say in Psalm 23? My cup runneth over. You don't want to try to give out from a half empty cup. But it's no problem to give out the overflow because I can't keep it in the cup anyway. And this is the life that we are to live. Well, verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. So the testimony that Paul's hearing about this church in Colossae is one, it was, they they were living out the faith in Christ. There was a genuine work of not just justification, but sanctification. I heard about the deeds they did, the things they said. The the Holy Spirit presence as they gather together and teach the word and worship. If I were to go, Paul says, to the church in Colossae, I would find a spirit-filled, faith-filled church. Boy, you can't get better than that, right? Two or three are gathered in that kind of church. That's all that's necessary. But then he said, your love for all the saints. That's always the key mark, isn't it? A genuine love for one another. And so, those who came and visited the Church of Colossae, those who are from the Church of Colossae, they have this mark. They're loving. And I might add, on more than one occasion, even though I've only been here two years, I've had people come who have visited and said, Wow, it is such a loving group of people. You you guys have been told this, right? It is a neat thing to have such a mark, to be the first and major impression. Well, verse five, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of truth, the gospel. So a big part of this is because you have such a joyful hope In heaven coming. Now, let me just say, this word hope in the English, it has an uncertainty with it. It's if it really does happen. Right? Oh, I I hope my football team wins. But it's, you know, I don't know if they are or not. This is not the Greek word for hope. and And I really can't stress this enough that if you just read that in English, you will completely miss what this is saying. Because the Greek word for hope, ellipsis, is is certainty. It's confident assurance. It's absolute certainty. The only question is not if, but just when. So we are confident heaven's coming. It's just a matter of when, right? Right? and he is saying a big part of the reason they are so fruitful and so loving it's because their hope of heaven coming soon hopefully is caused this fruitfulness it's important it's very very important that we have such a confidence and certainty about heaven to come. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 5, Peter says it the best. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Notice verse five, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says you can't count on a lot of things on this in this life, but if you have believed in Jesus, you are going to heaven, right? And it's not of works. We're going to Look at this in a minute. But I think of that thief on the cross. Lord, Jesus, when, not if, but when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says, that would be nice. Maybe, that might be a possibility, maybe. It's it's possible. There's a good chance of it. Is that what he said? Jesus spoke to him with absolute certainty. What did that thief do? He sent his whole life. He, with the crowd and with the other thief, were saying horrible things to Jesus on the way to Golgotha. And then even while hanging on the cross, how hard-hearted of a person are you, knowing you're going to be tortured and died. And while you're being tortured and dying on the cross, next to Jesus, you have energy to mock another person. I, I just can't imagine how hard that heart is. But Jesus, John, take care of my mom. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The thief on the cross got it. This is the Messiah. His hands were tied. His feet were tied. He, he could never do any good works. He could never show a life of, good, of goodness, of righteousness, of not being a thief. He's in heaven because he had faith in his heart. And Jesus said that's all it is because salvation's a gift. And with absolute certainty, today, You will be with me in paradise. That thief on the cross had complete hope in heaven. Isn't that amazing? There was no uncertainty. His last few hours of life were complete joy that heaven was coming. And he said, this certainty has come, which you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. They had faith in a wonderful, simple gospel, which is true. And that truth brings salvation and it is powerful to us. Romans said, in, and Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the power of, of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to possi- most people who believe. Because we got we to gotta check it out. Do they have a real faith? Do they have a sincere faith? Did they really repent? We need to see what their, goes on with their life in the days, weeks, years, even decades after they believe, then maybe there's salvation for them. No such thing, is it? He's saying at the moment they believe they have a powerful salvation. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 1:18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Such a simple gospel. The gospel we have received did not come from Jesus directly, did not come from Peter or James or John. Paul says the gospel we have received is his gospel that he received after he got saved for three years in Arabia. And then after that, fourteen years total as he went back to Tarsus and lived at home and built tents and we don't know all I did before he came back to Antioch. It 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 solidified and was clear over a fourteen year period after the Lord spoke it to him before he began his ministry. Barnabas came and got him and brought him to Antioch and he says, The gospel I am giving to you is from the Lord directly to me, but it's it's not coming as clear from anybody else the gospel that I have is for the Gentiles not that we don't first preach to the Jews but my ministry is to the Gentiles and that gospel he says in 1 Corinthians 15:1 in which we have received which we stand Paul calls it my gospel we hold fast to that word, And he says, I delivered it first of all, and you received it. Three simple things. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, that he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. That right there, those three things, is the power of God unto salvation. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, he tells the Corinthians, I fear that somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In John 20, verse 31, John said, I wrote this whole gospel. These things are written that you'd believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's it, by believing. John 3.16, here it is. God loves the world. That's the message. That's why it's gospel. It's good news. The word gospel is a Greek transliteration. It means good news. The way many preach it, it's it's not an immediate good news. It may become good news to you in the future after we see you really had true faith, you really repented, you really were sincere, and your life shows that you believed. Maybe a year from now or 10 years from now, but... After that happens, then you can rejoice in your salvation. Not what we see. He gave. Here's the thing. He loved out the world and gave his only begotten son. Few men would ever hand their son over to be tortured and put to death. But God giving his only begotten son. And here it is. Whoever believes... In Him, Number one, should not perish. Number two, have everlasting life. There is no footnote here. You know, Jesus, when he gives the Lord's prayer, he puts a footnote in there, doesn't he? And, and forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us. Hey, this prayer may not work for you, he says. Footnote, if you are unwilling to forgive men of their trespasses, My Father in heaven is unwilling to forgive you of your trespasses. Whoa, okay. Before I say, Father, forgive me of my trespasses, I need to wrestle with God like Jacob did (laughs) until God wounds me and brings me to a place that all bitterness is gone, all self-righteousness is gone, all anger is gone, and my heart is freely clear to say, Lord, that person who's so wronged me, bless them open up the windows of heaven and pour blessings upon them more than they can contain. And I hear that they're prospering. I don't go, oh. I hear that they're sick in the hospital. Ooh, oh, okay. No, I, I can truly have let go of that and forgiven them. But here, no footnote. He doesn't say um, if you had real faith, if you had sincere faith, if you really repented, Look at how you live after words and then we'll decide whether your faith really took place or not. No. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Receive him. Believe him. Trust in him. We're gonna see today, just accept him. All these words will do because you could have... A mustard seed side, you see that little thing right there? Of course you can. not That's mustard seed of faith. And you can move mountains. And I tell you, it takes a fraction of a mustard seed to believe for salvation. He's rich to all who call upon his name. Whoever believes, whatever that belief is in this moment, God will receive it for salvation. Listen to 1 John 5, 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Not that you would question or doubt your salvation. I've written these things to you that you would know there would be no doubt. There would be no questioning. There would be no uh, uncertainty. I told you all about Jesus in my gospel and in my letters. The whole purpose is that you would have a certainty of heaven to come, that God is the savior, not you. He seeks out his Holy Spirit's in the world, convictment of sin and righteousness of judgment. He, through the Father, is drawing you through our conscience Through the Holy Spirit, through the Word, through the evangelist, all kinds of ways the Father's drawing us to the Son. And it's not of yourself that you're saved, because you're so smart. I read the whole Bible and I thought through it and I'm like, it is Jesus. It's not of yourself, it's not of your works. Well, I finally just repented, and I threw out all the beer bottles, and and then I, you know, I got myself to church, and I stayed on my knees for ten hours a day praying, and 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 then I came to the point where I knew that God had accepted me. It's not of yourself. It's not of your works. It's a gift of God, and the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So he goes on to say, we as believers are only the holders of this truth of the gospel. He wants us to know, to know that we have absolute certainty of our salvation. And he says, you guys are the holders of this truth. We, we know about this from 1 Timothy 3, 15, that the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. What do we have in the church today? On this foundation and these pillars, we need to stay. We need to stand, no matter how hard the winds are and the waves are. The Episcopal Church, homosexual pastors, and 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 they accept all of this transgendered stuff. Episcopal churches are are, are putting out the rainbow flag and 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 announcing. This last year, year, you might have heard it just a few months ago, a, a man broke into a church over here, I believe it's in Newport, or Laguna Niguel, Presbyterian Church, and he shot some people. Well, I looked that church up. Their they, they're number one thing on their page <laughs> is that we are a church that embraces the transition. All homosexuals, transgendered will find a home here. And the pastors of the staff gave their personal pronouns. Um, I'm Pastor So-and-so. My personal pronouns identify as, it was shocking. The pillar has been knocked over. The ground has been cracked and dissipated. But the true church will stand firm on the truths of the Bible, no matter how the culture is being in Ephesians 4:21, he says, "Indeed you heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus." Remember when Pilate was trying Jesus, Pilate has the attitude, like many in our culture today, but he asked him the question, "Are you the king?" And Jesus says, "You rightly say that I am the king." I was born, and I have come into this world that I should bear witness of the truth. Jesus speaking to you. And what's Pilate's attitude? What's truth? And he would not hear him. And Jesus said, everyone who hears the truth, hears my voice. Jesus' voice is truth. Truth is found in God. Jesus in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In John 14, 6, one we know as well, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the what? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that, you may, that they may know you, the only what? True God and Jesus Christ. Whom you've sent. In 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Listen to what John says in his last letter in his very old age probably over 100 years old at this time. And he says, as I am in my last few breaths, the thing that brings me joy is what? In 3 John, verse 3 and 4. For I rejoice greatly when my brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The thing, the only thing that's going to bring truly joy and gladness, good news, the gospel is the truth of the gospel. God loves you. He gave his only begotten son to be your substitute, to die in your place, taking all of your sins. He died for all of your sins. Number one. Number two, he was buried. And number three, he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. So simple, so little, so tiny. It seems like it should be a paragraph or two at least. Not just three simple little lines. But that's all the truth that's necessary to believe in for a man to be saved. In Colossians 1.6 now, which has come to you as it also in all the world and bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. So in Paul's world, all over the Roman empire, as they said in the book of Acts, here comes Paul and Barnabas, these guys who are turning the world upside down. It was front page news. It was a fire that was spreading. And he said, it's also become a blaze in Colossae. Let me know, let, know that you're a Roman city, but it's happening all through the entire Roman Empire. So Paul was speaking hyperbole. He knew that the entire planet, he didn't say that. Um, it just the world that they lived in, wherever you went, as far as you went, even to the, the vast re- ends of, of the Roman Empire, you, you would find the gospel has already reached there at this time. In Romans 1.8, he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, and your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Telling the Lord what God has done in other Roman cities, even Rome itself. And what does this gospel do? It brings forth fruit. Now, the first thing you should note here is this word bringing is a present tense. In other words, it's a constant, continual action and increasing into the future. So our our responsibility is not to save people. Our responsibility is to share the message. And the gospel itself will bring forth fruit. But we're not God's shepherd, right? I mean, we're not the shepherd. God is the shepherd. So when I lead people to Christ, I don't feel like I have to, you know, now sell them on coming to church. I, I know that they have believed in God is your shepherd. I encourage them to faith in good works. I encourage them to start reading the Bible and praying and, and getting finding a good church that they can get hooked into. I don't preach our church though, because I don't want them to have a mixed message. Oh, I get it. The end result is Uh, You get me into your church to build your church. No, I I don't want to preach. If they ask where I go to church, I tell them. But we need to remember that as you go out and plant the seed, it never returns void. It'll always accomplish the work that it was sent out to do. And so we have a seed, and when it falls into the good ground, it yields a crop, and it springs up and increases and produces 30, 60, 100-fold. I love the way it says it in Luke 8:15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who are having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. In Mark 4:20 and these are the ones sown on the good ground, those who hear the word accept it. That's it. And bear fruit some 30, some 60 and some 100 fold. They was just the last time I was out witnessing a few couple of weeks back of an invocation, but I was with Eric from Refuge and and he's sort of the evangelist guru and learned a lot from him. But we were um, on the pier and it was just a very spiritual warfare day, which we haven't had uh, in the in the two years that I've been doing it. And and there was these four young men on the pier. And uh, we stopped them and said, hey, can we talk to you a minute? And they said, yeah. And there were three white guys and this tall, good-looking black guy. And we started sharing the gospel. And the three white guys were a little interested. A couple of them were, but most of them were like, ah, let's, let's move on. But the tall black guy, you could tell. <laughs> you know, you know when, when Paul was preaching and he saw the guy who was crippled on the front row and he saw that he believed... And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the guy started walking and leaping and praising God. You could see the faith in this guy's heart in every word that Eric and I spoke. It was, he believed it. And you could tell. And when it came to the time of saying, would you like to pray that prayer? We didn't even look at the other guys. We looked only at him. And his friends were, and he was like, "Oh, oh, hey don't care what they think. God has not given them that seed of faith to this day. But you, you don't deny it, that every word we spoke you have believed. And he's like, yep, it's true. And it was powerful. And so it, it is a wonderful thing when men hear that truth of the gospel and accept it, and then I know wherever he goes, many of these guys they didn't live anywhere near So Beach where Witness and or anywhere often even in the O.C. I believe these guys lived a very long ways away. But we told them again how to start walking with the Lord. But we're confident God's their shepherd; He's going to lead them to still waters. He's going to make them lie down in green pastures. He is going to get them there, and pray for them. And so he goes on to say, as it also is among you since the day you heard of it, and here's the key you knew the grace of God in truth. In Acts 20, he calls it the gospel of grace. Grace, we are saved by having faith in God's grace. Grace, it's a gift, it's about his love, his kindness his substitute on the cross, his resurrection, his forgiveness, his mercies that are new every morning. That's once they understood the grace, then what happened? He says the fruit then began to come into their life. And so we need to remember that God has a garden, not a factory. (laughs) God is not the manager slash slave driver of the factory and we all need to be pumping out widgets. No, it's important for us to know God is a gardener and we are the garden. In John 15, you know this well. I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Those are the first two important things you need to know. Me and the father are in tandem working this out. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And it may be more fruit. But abide in me, and I in you. Why? Because the branch, that's you, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. In John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. There it is. He who abides in me, and I in him, that bears much fruit. In John 15, 8, this the Father's glorified, that we bear much fruit. Solomon, oh, he says it so beautifully. This is a prophecy about Christ and the church. It's also a manual for sex and marriage, but that's neither here nor there. It, it, the main thing is about Christ and the church. And just pick out a few verses from that book, A Song of Solomon, so beautiful poetry. In chapter four, verse 12, a garden enclosed, this is the Lord speaking to the church, his bride. A garden enclosed, is my sister, my spouse. A spring shot up, a fountain sealed, In chapter 5, verse 1, the beloved speaking, Jesus, I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spices. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. And to the friends now, he says, Eat, O friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, oh, beloved ones. So he, 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 the church is to be bearing fruit. You know, the orange tree doesn't eat its own oranges, right? The orange tree does all of that work for others to enjoy its fruit. But in chapter 6, verse 2, now the bride does speak. And this is what she says. My beloved has gone to his garden to the beds of spices to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. Beautiful poetry and just such a clear romance and love how God looks at his bride as every groom looks at his bride, right? I hope there's not a guy who's ever been married who's like, yeah, you know, she's ugly and bad breath and not attracted to her at all, but, you know, it's going to be good <laughs> to be married. No, Jesus is enamored with his church. Well, in verse seven here, as you have learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So what happened was we learned in Acts 19.10 that while Paul was in Ephesus, all of these guys who were at the college town went home and they shared the gospel with their family and friends and churches were started and that's what happened with Epaphras. Interesting, his name means lovely, but it's after the goddess Aphrodite. So Epaphras was truly a pagan guy. That just rejoices my heart. To think of this guy who's into this despicable, idolatrous, wicked worship, which had, you know, prostitute house and, and the girls wanted to really give themselves to God. They became prostitutes in the temple and all these all these things. And for this guy to just hear the gospel and turn from all of that paganism and turn to Christ, rejoices my heart. And then in verse eight, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. Again, the impression of that church was love. Often the impression of the church today is we're a bunch of cranky, judgmental people, right? The SNL thing, the church lady. Um, you know, we are this horrible entity. And I'll have to say, a church without love is that ugly. In 1 Corinthians 13:1, though I have the tongues of men and of angels, and boy, there's some pastors that are amazing orators, but yet their church is a very angry, mean, judgmental people. But even if I have these tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, what are we? A sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. We're an annoying sound. Jesus profoundly said in John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. These folks in Colossae had it right. They knew how to love. Now, as we conclude today, I do want to go back and give attention to verse 4 and 5. Notice there, faith, hope, and love. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, and your hope which is laid up in heaven. These three essential characteristics that make up true Christianity Faith, hope, and love. Faith, what? In Christ Jesus. Love for the saints. Hope in the heaven to come. Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 5 and 6, And we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, either circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working what? Through love. Or that preposition, by love, or with love. A faith with love is beautiful. Faith without love is a clanging symbol and a blasting trumpet in your ear. First Thessalonians one, two, and three. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work, of faith, your labor of love, patience of hope, work of faith, labor of patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and the Father. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and the breastplate of love, and as the helmet, the hope of salvation. These three essentials are intricately combined. Our Christianity must always begin with faith in Jesus Christ, and it is that faith from which everything else will result. When we have faith in him, we have the blessed hope. The hope of eternal life in heaven. And because of that, that hope, we have the love for all the saints. Real Christians with hope in heaven and a love for one another. It's important to remember that the basis of our love is not how lovable others are, but how much God has loved us. We don't have to force ourselves to love people in the church we just need to let god's love flow through us in john 13 35 once again by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for the world no love for one another so note if you're having trouble loving people i would challenge you to look not at your relationship with others but at your relationship with God. Are you holding on to that hope of heaven? Are you living as a disciple of Jesus Christ? The love should be flowing to the worst of the worst. And even if they're evil and enemies and treat you badly, they're at the top of your list, the love, right? Don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. To love them, to bless them, to do good to them. So let's look at these three things as we close. First, faith. Faith is upward to God. It's focused on the past in the work of Jesus Christ. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Love is outward to others. It's in the present. As John 13, 13, 7, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. If we don't have faith in the love of the Lord Jesus for us, we will not have the absolute hope and assurance of salvation. Do you understand this? If you're in your own little prison, am I saved? Am I not saved? You know, the Calvinists right? I have to persist into the end with an obedient life to really be saved. Can I lose my salvation? I believe, but did I really believe? I trusted in Christ, but did I really, because then I did this the next day. Was I really sincere or was I just doing it because that girl I liked also raised her hand? You know, am I really saved? If you're walking around that way, there's no real joy in believing. There's no hope in heaven. There's a big giant question mark. There's doubts. And let me tell you, it's frustrating. It makes you angry. Am I going to heaven or not? I'm going to go to church and when the pastor says, you want to get saved today, man, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to, this is going to be the, I'm really sincere. Man, it's Friday, but I, I think I can stay sincere on set through Saturday until Sunday. Yeah, I can do it. I am really sincere. Guys, to everyone who believes, trusts, receives, accepts, to whatever degree, shall not perish. That's the first thing on the list. Jesus said in John three sixteen. the first thing I want you to never doubt again is the idea of perishing. You shall not perish. And on top of that, you shall have an everlasting life in heaven, not on this earth. And then the third thing, love outward towards others. And we already covered this. In John 4, 17 through 19, this is the word. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have what? Boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is right now in perfect righteousness in heaven with the Father, so are we in this world. I I don't see perfect righteousness at, at you guys today. But Jesus who gathered with us, he sees everybody in perfect righteousness. And we learn in Ephesians 2, he already sees you seated together with him in heavenly places. Isn't that awesome? God who just blipped into the future and he saw you there and you were so happy and he's blipping back into the present going, you're going to love it. But it, 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 he wants this boldness as he is so in this world. Go in verse 18, 1 John 4, 18. There is no... Fear in love. If you're worried about perishing, then you really don't understand how much God loves you, do you? Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. It all goes back to him doing it. So here's the key if you don't understand God loving the world, giving his only begotten son, if you don't understand how much God loves you and he loves his church, then you're not gonna have the hope of heaven and thus the clog in the pipe for our love to flow from your life. You see, we've got the joy of heaven and that joy of heaven overwhelms us in the presence. I remember as a kid, you know, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland Saturday. Ooh, I was floating on air all week. Oh, Brian, you got an F on your spelling test. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, teacher. Because um, I'm just thinking about Disneyland. Right? Nothing got me down. Mom's like, hey, go out and weed in the backyard. Just going to Disneyland. I said, oh, go out and weed away. away. Usually I hate it, but I'm going to Disneyland. So if we don't have the hope of heaven, we're not gonna have the joy in the Lord in this present moment. Where does it all start? Understanding his love for you. And then through the knowledge of the grace of God, we love him. You you know why we love him? Because his mercies are new every morning. That if I fall and sin seven times, he forgives me seven times and I can get up. How many times shall a man forgive his brother? One human sinful evil person forgive another horrible evil. How many times? 70 times seven a day. Well, what is God's forgiveness then? If that's what he expects of us who are so weak and feeble, what is the expectation of himself? 700 zillion to the 100 billion power. In other words, his love will never fail. He'll believe all things. He will hope all things. He will endure all things. His love will never fail. We now are more than conquerors because I'm living righteously, because I go to church, because I read my Bible, because I pray, because I evangelize. We are more than conquerors. Why? Because he loves us. And you know what that includes? Heights and depths. That includes things present and things to come. It includes the angels of heaven and the demons from below. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. All who come unto me are in my hand and of them I lose. How many? None, not some, none. All who come unto me are in my hand and I shall raise them up on the last day. Do we understand this? It comes back to the key of our faith is in the absolute certainty of God doing 100% of the work of salvation. And we are just the receivers of that gift. Am I going to heaven because I'm righteous? No, I'm going to heaven because Christ made me righteous. Am I going to heaven when I'm struggling with sin? Yes. Am I going to heaven when I'm really uh, struggling with the, the frailties of this life? Yes. You see, nothing present or to come will ever undo God's gift that's irrevocable. And then the last thing, hope again. Hope is forward into the future. Two last verses here. In Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do we hear this? The love of God. Hope never disappoints. Why? Because you're doing the right things and living a righteous life? No. This is why hope never disappoints. Because of the love of God that's been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hebrews six nineteen. This hope, we have an anchor of the soul. This hope is what? The anchor of our soul. Both sure and steadfast in which enters the presence behind the veil. Isn't that radical? As he is, so are we right now. Because of his love for us. Faith, hope, and love. All key ingredients, but the greatest is love. Not our love, but having faith in God's love for us. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you are doing exceedingly abundantly above all we've been asking all week and crying out to you that you'd fill us with your spirit, you'd fill us with your truth. We'd know that truth and that truth would set us free. If there's anybody through streaming or here this morning hearing these, this gospel, this incredibly good news that they can leave here without absolute certainty of eternal life, cause their hearts to look to you and see that God loves them. That he didn't even withhold the most precious thing he has, has and that is his only begotten son. That Jesus came into human flesh, how horrible but eventually tortured and died. Not for his own sins did he die, because he had no sin, but what killed him was our sins. And he was buried and rose again the third day. We receive it by faith right now. If there's any here, Lord, who have been walking in this Christianity with doubts and, and concerns and worries and wonders, that by the faith of your word that would end. And by faith, it would rise up and walk in joy, in peace, in hope, and believing. That there would be an overwhelming sense that you love us with a perfect, enduring love that never fails. And that love, and we have faith in that love, gives us a hope steadfast, immovable, does not fade away, reserved in heaven by your power. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.